Section 24 of Lourdes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Lourdes by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest Vizitelli. The Fifth Day. 4. Marie's Vow. Once more was the white train rolling, rolling towards Paris on its way home and the third-class carriage where the shrill voices singing the magnificat at full pitch rose above the growling of the wheels had again become a common room a travelling hospital ward full of disorder littered like an improvised ambulance basins and brooms and sponges lay about under the seats which half concealed them articles of luggage all the wretched mass of poor worn-out things were heaped together a little bit everywhere and up above the litter began again what with the parcels the baskets and the bags hanging from the brass pegs and swinging to and fro without a moment's rest the same sisters of the assumption and the same lady hospitallers were there with their patients amidst the contingent of healthy pilgrims who were already suffering from the overpowering heat and unbearable odour and at the far end there was again the compartment full of women the ten close-packed female pilgrims some young some old and all looking pitifully ugly as they violently chanted the canticle in cracked and woeful voices at what time shall we reach paris monsieur de garcin inquired of pierre to-morrow at about two in the afternoon i think the priest replied since starting marie had been looking at the latter with an air of anxious preoccupation as though haunted by a sudden sorrow which she could not reveal however she found her gay healthful smile again to say twenty-two hours journey ah it won't be so long and trying as it was coming besides resumed her father we have left some of our people behind we have plenty of room now in fact madame mars's absence left a corner free at the end of the seat which marie now sitting up like any other passenger no longer encumbered with her box moreover little sophie had this time been placed in the next compartment where there was neither brother isidore nor his sister marthe the latter it was said had remained at lourdes in service with a pious lady on the other side madame de jonquiere and sister hyacinthe also had the benefit of a vacant seat that of madame vetu and it had further occurred to them to get rid of elise rouquet by placing her with sophie so that only la grivotte and the sabatier couple were with them in their compartment thanks to these new arrangements they were better able to breathe and perhaps they might manage to sleep a little the last verse of the magnificat having been sung the ladies finished installing themselves as comfortably as possible by setting their little household in order one of the most important matters was to put the zinc water can which interfered with their legs out of the way all the blinds of the left-hand windows had been pulled down for the oblique sun-rays were falling on the train and had poured into it in sheets of fire the last storms however must have laid the dust and the night would certainly be cool moreover there was less suffering death had carried off the most afflicted ones and only stupefied ailments numbed by fatigue and lapsing into a slow torpor remained the overpowering reaction which always follows great moral shocks was about to declare itself the souls had made the efforts required of them the miracles had been worked and now the relaxing was beginning amidst a hebetude tinged with profound relief until they got to tarbes they were all very much occupied in setting things in order and making themselves comfortable but as they left that station sister hyacinthe rose up and clapped her hands my children said she we must not forget the blessed virgin who has been so kind to us let us begin the rosary then the whole carriage repeated the first chaplet the five joyful mysteries the annunciation the visitation the nativity the purification and the finding of jesus in the temple and afterwards they intoned the canticle let us contemplate the heavenly archangel in such loud voices that the peasants working in the fields raised their heads to look at this singing train as it rushed past them at full speed marie was at the window gazing with admiration at the vast landscape and the immense stretch of sky which had gradually freed itself of its mist and was now of a dazzling blue it was the delicious close of a fine day however she at last looked back into the carriage and her eyes were fixing themselves on pierre with that mute sadness which had previously dimmed them when all at once a sound of furious sobbing burst forth in front of her the canticle was finished and it was madame vincent who was crying stammering confused words half choked by her tears ah my poor little one she gasped ah my jewel my treasure my life she had previously remained in her corner shrinking back into it as though anxious to disappear with a fierce face her lips tightly set and her eyes closed as though to isolate herself in the depths of her cruel grief she had hitherto not said a word 
but chancing to open her eyes she had espied the leathern window strap hanging down beside the door and the sight of that strap which her daughter had touched almost played with at one moment during the previous journey had overwhelmed her with a frantic despair which swept away her resolution to remain silent ah my poor little rose she continued her little hand touched that strap she turned it and looked at it ah it was her last plaything and we were there both together then she was still alive i still had her on my lap in my arms it was still so nice so nice but now i no longer have her i shall never never have her again my poor little rose my poor little rose distracted sobbing bitterly she looked at her knees and her arms on which nothing now rested and which she was at a loss how to employ she had so long rocked her daughter on her knees so long carried her in her arms that it now seemed to her as if some portion of her being had been amputated as if her body had been deprived of one of its functions leaving her diminished unoccupied distracted at being unable to fulfil that function any more those useless arms and knees of hers quite embarrassed her pierre and marie who were deeply moved had drawn near uttering kind words and striving to console the unhappy mother and little by little from the disconnected sentences which mingled with her sobs they learned what a calvary she had ascended since her daughter's death on the morning of the previous day when she had carried the body off in her arms amidst the storm she must have long continued walking blind and deaf to everything whilst the torrential rain beat down upon her she no longer remembered what squares she had crossed what streets she had traversed as she roamed through that infamous lord that lord which killed little children that lord which she cursed ah i can't remember i can't remember she faltered but some people took me in had pity upon me some people whom i don't know but who live somewhere ah i can't remember where but it was somewhere high up far away at the other end of the town and they were certainly very poor folk for i can still see myself in a poor-looking room with my dear little one who was quite cold and whom they laid upon their bed at this recollection a fresh attack of sobbing shook her in fact almost stifled her no no she at last resumed i would not part with her dear little body by leaving it in that abominable town and i can't tell exactly how it happened but it must have been those poor people who took me with them we did a great deal of walking oh a great deal of walking we saw all those gentlemen of the pilgrimage and the railway what can it matter to you i repeated to them let me take her back to paris in my arms i brought her here like that when she was alive i may surely take her back dead nobody will notice anything people will think that she is asleep and all of them all those officials began shouting and driving me away as though i were asking them to let me do something wicked then i ended by telling them my mind when people make so much fuss and bring so many agonizing sick to a place like that they surely ought to send the dead ones home again ought they not and you know how much money they ended by asking of me at the station three hundred francs yes it appears it is the price three hundred francs good lord of me who came here with thirty sous in my pocket and have only five left why i don't earn that amount of money by six months sewing they ought to have asked me for my life i would have given it so willingly three hundred francs three hundred francs for that poor little bird-like body which it would have consoled me so much to have brought away on my knees then she began stammering and complaining in a confused husky voice ah if you only knew how sensibly those poor people talked to me to induce me to go back a workwoman like myself with work waiting ought to return to paris they said and besides i couldn't afford to sacrifice my return ticket i must take the three forty train and they told me too that people are compelled to put up with things when they are not rich only the rich can keep their dead do what they like with them eh and i can't remember no again i can't remember i didn't even know the time i should never have been able to find my way back to the station after the funeral over there at a place where there were two trees it must have been those poor people who led me away half out of my senses and brought me to the station and pushed me into the carriage just at the moment when the train was starting but what a rending it was as if my heart had remained there underground and it is frightful that it is frightful my god poor woman murmured marie take courage and pray to the blessed virgin for the succour which she never refuses to the afflicted but at this madame vincent shook with rage it isn't true she cried the blessed virgin doesn't care a rap about me she doesn't tell the truth why did she deceive me i should never have gone to lourdes if i hadn't heard that voice in a church my little girl would still be alive and perhaps the doctors would have saved her i who would never set my foot among the priests formerly ah i was right i was right 
there's no blessed virgin at all and in this wise without resignation without illusion without hope she continued blaspheming with the coarse fury of a woman of the people shrieking the sufferings of her heart aloud in such rough fashion that sister hyacinthe had to intervene be quiet you unhappy woman it is god who is making you suffer to punish you the scene had already lasted a long time and as they passed riscle at full speed the sister again clapped her hands and gave the signal for the chanting of the laudate mariam come come my children she exclaimed all together and with all your hearts in heaven on earth all voices raise in concert sing my mother's praise laudate 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 mariam madame vincent whose voice was drowned by this canticle of love now only sobbed with her hands pressed to her face her revolt was over she was again strengthless weak like a suffering woman whom grief and weariness have stupefied after the canticle fatigue fell more or less heavily upon all the occupants of the carriage only sister hyacinthe so quick and active and sister claire des anges so gentle serious and slight retained as on their departure from paris and during their sojourn at lourdes the professional serenity of women accustomed to everything and wont to triumph over everything amidst the bright gaiety of their white coifs and wimples madame de jonquiere who had scarcely slept for five days past had to make an effort to keep her poor eyes open and yet she was delighted with the journey for her heart was full of joy at having arranged her daughter's marriage and at bringing back with her the greatest of all the miracles a miraculé whom everybody was talking of she decided in her own mind that she would get to sleep that night however bad the jolting might be though on the other hand she could not shake off a covert fear with regard to la grivotte who looked very strange excited and haggard with dull eyes and cheeks glowing with patches of violet colour madame de jonquiere had tried a dozen times to keep her from fidgeting but had not been able to induce her to remain still with joined hands and closed eyes fortunately the other patients gave her no anxiety most of them were either so relieved or so weary that they were already dozing off elise rouquet however had bought herself a pocket mirror a large round one in which she did not weary of contemplating herself finding herself quite pretty and verifying from minute to minute the progress of her cure with a coquetry which now that her monstrous face was becoming human again made her purse her lips and try a variety of smiles as for sophie couteau she was playing very prettily for finding that nobody now asked to examine her foot she had taken off her shoe and stocking of her own accord repeating that she must surely have a pebble in one or the other of them and as her companions still paid no attention to that little foot which the blessed virgin had been pleased to visit she kept it in her hands caressing it seemingly delighted to touch it and turn it into a plaything Monsieur de guersin had meantime risen from his seat and leaning on the low partition between the compartments he was glancing at Monsieur sabatier when all of a sudden marie called oh father father look at this notch in the seat it was the ironwork of my box that made it the discovery of this trace rendered her so happy that for a moment she forgot the secret sorrow which she seemed anxious to keep to herself and in the same way as madame vincent had burst out sobbing on perceiving the leather strap which her little girl had touched so she burst into joy at the sight of this scratch which reminded her of her long martyrdom in this same carriage all the abomination which had now disappeared vanished like a nightmare to think that four days have scarcely gone by she said i was lying there i could not stir and now now i come and go and feel so comfortable pierre and monsieur de guersin were smiling at her and monsieur sabatier who had heard her slowly said it is quite true we leave a little of ourselves in things a little of our sufferings and our hopes and when we find them again they speak to us and once more tell us the things which sadden us or make us gay he had remained in his corner silent with an air of resignation ever since their departure from lourdes even his wife whilst wrapping up his legs had only been able to obtain sundry shakes of the head from him in response to her inquiries whether he was suffering in point of fact he was not suffering but extreme dejection was overcoming him thus for my own part he continued during our long journey from paris i tried to divert my thoughts by counting the bands in the roofing up there there were thirteen from the lamp to the door well i have just been counting them again and naturally enough there are still thirteen it's like that brass knob beside me you can't imagine what dreams i had whilst i watched it shining at night-time when monsieur l'abbé was reading the story of bernadette to us yes i saw myself cured i was making that journey to rome which i have been talking of for twenty years past i walked and travelled the world briefly i had all manner of wild and delightful dreams and now here we are on our way back to paris and there are thirteen bands across the roofing there and the knob is still shining 
all of which tells me that i'm again on the same seat with my legs lifeless well well it's understood i'm a poor old used-up animal and such i shall remain two big tears appeared in his eyes he must have been passing through an hour of frightful bitterness however he raised his big square head with its jaw typical of patient obstinacy and added this is the seventh year that i have been to lourdes and the blessed virgin has not listened to me no matter it won't prevent me from going back next year perhaps she will at last deign to hear me for his part he did not revolt and pierre whilst chatting with him was stupefied to find persistent tenacious credulity springing up once more in spite of everything in the cultivated brain of this man of intellect what ardent desire of cure and life was it that had led to this refusal to accept evidence this determination to remain blind he stubbornly clung to the resolution to be saved when all human probabilities were against him when the experiment of the miracle itself had failed so many times already and he had reached such a point that he wished to explain his fresh rebuff urging moments of inattention at the grotto a lack of sufficient contrition and all sorts of little transgressions which must have displeased the blessed virgin moreover he was already deciding in his mind that he would perform a novena somewhere next year before again repairing to lourdes ah by the way he resumed do you know of the good luck which my substitute has had yes you must remember my telling you about that poor fellow suffering from tuberculosis for whom i paid fifty francs when i obtained hospitalization for myself well he has been thoroughly cured really and he was suffering from tuberculosis exclaimed monsieur de garcin certainly monsieur perfectly cured i had seen him looking so low so yellow so emaciated when we started but when he came to pay me a visit at the hospital he was quite a new man and dear me i gave him five francs pierre had to restrain a smile for he had heard the story from dr chassaigne this miraculously healed individual was a feigner who had eventually been recognized at the medical verification office it was apparently the third year that he had presented himself there the first time alleging paralysis and the second time a tumour both of which had been as completely healed as his pretended tuberculosis on each occasion he obtained an outing lodging and food and returned home loaded with arms it appeared that he had formerly been a hospital nurse and that he transformed himself made up a face suited to his pretended ailment in such an extremely artistic manner that it was only by chance that dr bonamy had detected the imposition moreover the fathers had immediately required that the incident should be kept secret what was the use of stirring up a scandal which would only have led to jocular remarks in the newspapers whenever any fraudulent miracles of this kind were discovered the fathers contented themselves with forcing the guilty parties to go away moreover these feigners were far from numerous despite all that was related of them in the amusing stories concocted by voltairean humorists apart from faith human stupidity and ignorance alas were quite sufficient to account for the miracles Monsieur sabatier however was greatly stirred by the idea that heaven had healed this man who had gone to lourdes at his expense whereas he himself was returning home still helpless still in the same woeful state he sighed and despite all his resignation could not help saying with a touch of envy what would you however the blessed virgin must know very well what she's about neither you nor myself can call her to account to us for her actions whenever it may please her to cast her eyes on me she will find me at her feet after the angelus when they got to mont de marson sister hyacinthe made them repeat the second chaplet the five sorrowful mysteries jesus in the garden of olives jesus scourged jesus crowned with thorns and jesus carrying his cross then they took dinner in the carriage for there would be no stopping until they reached bordeaux where they would only arrive at eleven o'clock at night all the pilgrims baskets were crammed with provisions to say nothing of the milk broth chocolate and fruit which sister saint francois had sent from the cantine then too there was fraternal sharing they sat with their food on their laps and drew closer together every compartment becoming as it were the scene of a picnic to which each contributed his share and they had finished their meal and were packing up the remaining bread again when the train passed morsens my children now said sister hyacinthe rising up the evening prayer thereupon came a confused murmuring made up of parters and aves self-examinations acts of contrition and vows of trustful reliance in god the blessed virgin and the saints with thanksgiving for that happy day and at last a prayer for the living and for the faithful departed i warn you then resumed the sister that when we get to la motte at ten o'clock i shall order silence however i think you will all be very good and won't require any rocking to get to sleep this made them laugh 
it was now half past eight o'clock and the night had slowly covered the countryside the hills alone retained a vague trace of the twilight's farewell whilst a dense sheet of darkness blotted out all the low ground rushing on at full speed the train entered an immense plain and then there was nothing but a sea of darkness through which they ever and ever rolled under a blackish sky studded with stars for a moment or so pierre had been astonished by the demeanour of la grivotte while the other pilgrims and patients were already dozing off sinking down amidst the luggage which the constant jolting shook she had risen to her feet and was clinging to the partition in a sudden spasm of agony and under the pale yellow dancing gleam of the lamp she once more looked emaciated with a livid tortured face take care madame she will fall the priest called to madame de jonquiere who with eyelids lowered was at last giving way to sleep she made all haste to intervene but sister hyacinthe had turned more quickly and caught la grivotte in her arms a frightful fit of coughing however prostrated the unhappy creature upon the seat and for five minutes she continued stifling shaken by such an attack that her poor body seemed to be actually cracking and rending then a red thread oozed from between her lips and at last she spat up blood by the throatful good heavens good heavens it's coming on her again repeated madame de jonquiere in despair i had a fear of it i was not at ease seeing her looking so strange wait a moment i will sit down beside her but the sister would not consent no no madame sleep a little i'll watch over her you are not accustomed to it you would end by making yourself ill as well then she settled herself beside la grivotte made her rest her head against her shoulder and wiped the blood from her lips the attack subsided but weakness was coming back so extreme that the wretched woman was scarcely able to stammer oh it is nothing nothing at all i am cured i am cured completely cured pierre was thoroughly upset this sudden overwhelming relapse had sent an icy chill through the whole carriage many of the passengers raised themselves up and looked at la grivotte with terror in their eyes then they dived down into their corners again and nobody spoke nobody stirred any further pierre for his part reflected on the curious medical aspect of this girl's case her strength had come back to her over yonder she had displayed a ravenous appetite she had walked long distances with a dancing gait her face quite radiant the while and now she had spat blood her cough had broken out afresh she again had the heavy ashen face of one in the last agony her ailment had returned to her with brutal force victorious over everything was this then some special case of thysis complicated by neurosis or was it some other malady some unknown disease quietly continuing its work in the midst of contradictory diagnoses the sea of error and ignorance the darkness amidst which human science is still struggling again appeared to pierre and he once more saw dr chassaigne shrugging his shoulders with disdain whilst dr bonamy full of serenity quietly continued his verification work absolutely convinced that nobody would be able to prove to him the impossibility of his miracles any more than he himself could have proved their possibility oh i am not frightened la grivotte continued stammering i am cured completely cured they all told me so over yonder meantime the carriage was rolling rolling along through the black night each of its occupants was making preparations stretching himself out in order to sleep more comfortably they compelled madame vincent to lie down on the seat and gave her a pillow on which to rest her poor pain-racked head and then as docile as a child quite stupefied she fell asleep in a nightmare-like torpor with big silent tears still flowing from her closed eyes elise rouquet who had a whole seat to herself was also getting ready to lie down but first of all she made quite an elaborate toilet tying the black wrap which had served to hide her sore about her head and then again peering into her glass to see if this headgear became her now that the swelling of her lip had subsided and again did pierre feel astonished at the sight of that sore which was certainly healing if not already healed that face so lately a monster's face which one could now look at without feeling horrified the sea of incertitude stretched before him once more was it even a real lupus might it not rather be some unknown form of ulcer of hysterical origin or ought one to admit that certain forms of lupus as yet but imperfectly studied and arising from faulty nutrition of the skin might be benefited by a great moral shock at all events there here seemed to be a miracle unless indeed the sore should reappear again in three weeks three months or three years time like la grivotte's thysis it was ten o'clock and the people in the carriage were falling asleep when they left la motte sister hyacinthe upon whose knees la grivotte was now drowsily resting her head was unable to rise and for form's sake merely said silence silence my children 
in a low voice which died away amidst the growling rumble of the wheels however something continued stirring in an adjoining compartment she heard a noise which irritated her nerves and the course of which she at last fancied she could understand why do you keep on kicking the seat sophie she asked you must get to sleep my child i'm not kicking sister it's a key that was rolling about under my foot a key how is that pass it to me then she examined it a very old poor-looking key it was blackened worn away and polished by long use its ring bearing the mark of where it had been broken and resoldered however they all searched their pockets and none of them it seemed had lost a key i found it in the corner now resumed sophie it must have belonged to the man what man asked sister hyacinthe the man who died there they had already forgotten him but it had surely been his for sister hyacinthe recollected that she had heard something fall while she was wiping his forehead and she turned the key over and continued looking at it as it lay in her hand poor ugly wretched key that it was no longer of any use never again to open the lock it belonged to some unknown lock hidden far away in the depths of the world for a moment she was minded to put it in her pocket as though by a kind of compassion for this little bit of iron so humble and so mysterious since it was all that remained of that unknown man but then the pious thought came to her that it is wrong to show attachment to any earthly thing and the window being half lowered she threw out the key which fell into the black night you must not play any more sophie she resumed come come my children silence it was only after the brief stay at bordeaux however at about half past eleven o'clock that sleep came back again and overpowered all in the carriage madame de jonquiere had been unable to contend against it any longer and her head was now resting against the partition her face wearing an expression of happiness amidst all her fatigue the sabatiers were in a like fashion calmly sleeping and not a sound now came from the compartment which sophie couteau and elise rouquet occupied stretched in front of each other on the seats from time to time a low plaint would rise a strangled cry of grief or fright escaping from the lips of madame vincent who amidst her prostration was being tortured by evil dreams sister hyacinthe was one of the very few who still had their eyes open anxious as she was respecting la grivotte who now lay quite motionless like a felled animal breathing painfully with a continuous wheezing sound from one to the other end of this travelling dormitory shaken by the rumbling of the train rolling on at full speed the pilgrims and the sick surrendered themselves to sleep and limbs dangled and heads swayed under the pale dancing gleams from the lamps at the far end in the compartment occupied by the ten female pilgrims there was a woeful jumbling of poor ugly faces old and young and all open-mouthed as though sleep had suddenly fallen upon them at the moment they were finishing some hymn great pity came to the heart at the sight of all those mournful weary beings prostrated by five days of wild hope and infinite ecstasy and destined to awaken on the very morrow to the stern realities of life and now pierre once more felt himself to be alone with marie she had not consented to stretch herself on the seat she had been lying down too long she said for seven years alas and in order that monsieur de guersin who on leaving bordeaux had again fallen into his childlike slumber might be more at ease pierre came and sat down beside the girl as the light of the lamp annoyed her he drew the little screen and they thus found themselves in the shade a soft and transparent shade the train must now have been crossing a plain for it glided through the night as in an endless flight with a sound like the regular flapping of huge wings through the window which they had opened a delicious coolness came from the black fields the fathomless fields where not even any lonely little village lights could be seen gleaming for a moment pierre had turned towards marie and had noticed that her eyes were closed but he could divine that she was not sleeping that she was savouring the deep peacefulness which prevailed around them amidst the thundering roar of their rush through the darkness and like her he closed his eyelids and began dreaming yet once again did the past arise before him the little house at neuilly the embrace which they had exchanged near the flowering hedge under the trees flecked with sunlight how far away all that already was and with what perfume had it not filled his life then bitter thoughts returned to him at the memory of the day when he had become a priest since she would never be a woman he had consented to be a man no more and that was to prove their eternal misfortune for her ironical nature was to make her a wife and a mother after all had he only been able to retain his faith he might have found eternal consolation in it but all his attempts to regain it had been in vain he had gone to lourdes he had striven his utmost at the grotto 
he had hoped for a moment that he would end by believing should marie be miraculously healed but total and irremediable ruin had come when the predicted cure had taken place even as science had foretold and their ideal so pure and so painful the long story of their affection bathed in tears likewise spread out before him she having penetrated his sad secret had come to lourdes to pray to heaven for the miracle of his conversion when they had remained alone under the trees amidst the perfume of the invisible roses during the night procession they had prayed one for the other mingling one in the other with an ardent desire for their mutual happiness before the grotto too she had entreated the blessed virgin to forget her and to save him if she could obtain but one favour from her divine son then healed beside herself transported with love and gratitude whirled with her little car up the inclined ways to the basilica she had thought her prayers granted and had cried aloud the joy she felt that they should have both been saved together together ah that lie which he prompted by affection and charity had told that error in which he had from that moment suffered her to remain with what a weight did it oppress his heart it was the heavy slab which walled him in his voluntary chosen sepulchre he remembered the frightful attack of grief which had almost killed him in the gloom of the crypt his sobs his brutal revolt his longing to keep her for himself alone to possess her since he knew her to be his own all that rising passion of his awakened manhood which little by little had fallen asleep again drowned by the rushing river of his tears and in order that he might not destroy the divine illusion which possessed her yielding to brotherly compassion he had taken that heroic vow to lie to her that vow which now filled him with such anguish pierre shuddered amidst his reverie would he have the strength to keep that vow for ever had he not detected a feeling of impatience in his heart even whilst he was waiting for her at the railway station a jealous longing to leave that lord which she loved too well in the vague hope that she might again become his own somewhere far away if he had not been a priest he would have married her and what rapture what felicity would then have been his he would have given himself wholly unto her she would have been wholly his own and he and she would have lived again in the dear child that would doubtless have been born to them ah surely that alone was divine the life which is complete the life which creates life and then his reverie strayed he pictured himself married and the thought filled him with such delight that he asked why such a dream should be unrealizable she knew no more than a child of ten he would educate her form her mind she would then understand that this cure for which she thought herself indebted to the blessed virgin had in reality come to her from the only mother serene and impassive nature but even whilst he was thus settling things in his mind a kind of terror born of his religious education arose within him could he tell if that human happiness with which he desired to endow her would ever be worth as much as the holy ignorance the infantile candour in which she now lived how bitterly he would reproach himself afterwards if she should not be happy then too what a drama it would all be he to throw off the cassock and marry this girl healed by an alleged miracle ravage her faith sufficiently to induce her to consent to such sacrilege yet therein lay the brave course there lay reason life real manhood real womanhood why then did he not dare horrible sadness was breaking upon his reverie he became conscious of nothing beyond the sufferings of his poor heart the train was still rolling along with its great noise of flapping wings beside pierre and marie only sister hyacinthe was still awake amidst the weary slumber of the carriage and just then marie leant towards pierre and softly said to him it's strange my friend i am so sleepy and yet i can't sleep then with a light laugh she added i've got paris in my head how is that paris yes yes i'm thinking that it's waiting for me that i am about to return to it that paris which i know nothing of and where i shall have to live these words brought fresh anguish to pierre's heart he had well foreseen it she could no longer belong to him she would belong to others if lord had restored her to him paris was about to take her from him again and he pictured this ignorant little being fatally acquiring all the education of woman that little spotless soul which had remained so candid in the frame of a big girl of three-and-twenty that soul which illness had kept apart from others far from life far even from novels would soon ripen now that it could fly freely once more he beheld her a gay healthy young girl running everywhere looking and learning and some day meeting the husband who would finish her education and so said he you propose to amuse yourself in paris oh what are you saying my friend are we rich enough to amuse ourselves she replied no i was thinking of my poor sister blanche and wondering what i should be able to do in paris to help her a little she is so good she works so hard 
i don't wish that she should have to continue earning all the money and after a fresh pause as he deeply moved remained silent she added formerly before i suffered so dreadfully i painted miniatures rather nicely you remember don't you that i painted a portrait of papa which was very like him and which everybody praised you will help me won't you you will find me customers then she began talking of the new life which she was about to live she wanted to arrange her room and hang it with croton something pretty with a pattern of little blue flowers she would buy it out of the first money she could save blanche had spoken to her of the big shops where things could be bought so cheaply to go out with blanche and run about a little would be so amusing for her who confined to her bed since childhood had never seen anything then pierre who for a moment had been calmer again began to suffer for he could divine all her glowing desire to live her ardour to see everything know everything and taste everything it was at last the awakening of the woman whom she was destined to be whom he had divined in childhood's days a dear creature of gaiety and passion with blooming lips starry eyes a milky complexion golden hair all resplendent with the joy of being oh i shall work i shall work she resumed but you are right pierre i shall also amuse myself because it cannot be a sin to be gay can it no surely not marie on sundays we will go into the country oh very far away into the woods where there are beautiful trees and we will sometimes go to the theatre too if papa will take us i have been told that there are many plays that one may see but after all it's not all that provided i can go out and walk in the streets and see things i shall be so happy i shall come home so gay it is so nice to live is it not pierre yes yes marie it is very nice a chill like that of death was coming over him his regret that he was no longer a man was filling him with agony but since she tempted him like this with her irritating candour why should he not confess to her the truth which was ravaging his being he would have won her have conquered her never had a more frightful struggle arisen between his heart and his will for a moment he was on the point of uttering irrevocable words but with the voice of a joyous child she was already resuming oh look at poor papa how pleased he must be to sleep so soundly on the seat in front of them monsieur de guersin was indeed slumbering with a comfortable expression on his face as though he were in his bed and had no consciousness of the continual jolting of the train this monotonous rolling and heaving seemed in fact a lullaby rocking the whole carriage to sleep all surrendered themselves to it sinking powerless onto the piles of bags and parcels many of which had also fallen and the rhythmical growling of the wheels never ceased in the unknown darkness through which the train was still rolling now and again as they passed through a station or under a bridge there would be a loud rush of wind a tempest would suddenly sweep by and then the lulling growling sound would begin again ever the same for hours together marie gently took hold of pierre's hands he and she were so lost so completely alone among all those prostrated beings in the deep rumbling peacefulness of the train flying across the black night and sadness the sadness which she had hitherto hidden had again come back to her casting a shadow over her large blue eyes you will often come with us my good pierre won't you she asked he had started on feeling her little hand pressing his own his heart was on his lips he was making up his mind to speak however he once again restrained himself and stammered i am not always at liberty marie a priest cannot go everywhere a priest she repeated yes yes a priest i understand then it was she who spoke who confessed the mortal secret which had been oppressing her heart ever since they had started she leant nearer and in a lower voice resumed listen my good pierre i am fearfully sad i may look pleased but there is death in my soul you did not tell me the truth yesterday he became quite scared but did not at first understand her i did not tell you the truth about what he asked a kind of shame restrained her and she again hesitated at the moment of descending into the depths of another conscience than her own then like a friend a sister she continued no you let me believe that you had been saved with me and it was not true pierre you have not found your lost faith again good lord she knew for him this was desolation such a catastrophe that he forgot his torments and at first he obstinately clung to the falsehood born of his fraternal charity but i assure you marie how can you have formed such a wicked idea oh be quiet my friend for pity's sake it would grieve me too deeply if you were to speak to me falsely again it was yonder at the station at the moment when we were starting and that unhappy man had died good abbe Juden had knelt down to pray for the repose of that rebellious soul 
and i divined everything i understood everything when i saw that you did not kneel as well that prayer did not rise to your lips as to his but really i assure you marie no no you did not pray for the dead you no longer believe and besides there is something else something i can guess something which comes to me from you a despair which you can't hide from me a melancholy look which comes into your poor eyes directly they meet mine the blessed virgin did not grant my prayer she did not restore your faith and i am very very wretched she was weeping a hot tear fell upon the priest's hand which she was still holding it quite upset him and he ceased struggling confessing in his turn letting his tears flow whilst in a very low voice he stammered ah marie i am very wretched also oh so very wretched for a moment they remained silent in their cruel grief at feeling that the abyss which parts different beliefs was yawning between them they would never belong to one another again and they were in despair at being so utterly unable to bring themselves nearer to one another but the severance was henceforth definitive since heaven itself had been unable to reconnect the bond and thus side by side they wept over their separation i who prayed so fervently for your conversion she said in a dolorous voice i who was so happy it had seemed to me that your soul was mingling with mine and it was so delightful to have been saved together together i felt such strength for life or oh, strength enough to raise the world he did not answer his tears were still flowing flowing without end and to think she resumed that i was saved all alone that this great happiness fell upon me without you having any share in it and to see you so forsaken so desolate when i am loaded with grace and joy rends my heart Ah, how severe the blessed virgin has been why did she not heal your soul at the same time as she healed my body the last opportunity was presenting itself he ought to have illumined this innocent creature's mind with the light of reason have explained the miracle to her in order that life after accomplishing its healthful work in her body might complete its triumph by throwing them into one another's arms he also was healed his mind was healthy now and it was not for the loss of faith but for the loss of herself that he was weeping however invincible compassion was taking possession of him amidst all his grief no no he would not trouble that dear soul he would not rob her of her belief which some day might prove her only stay amidst the sorrows of this world one cannot yet require of children and women the bitter heroism of reason he had not the strength to do it he even thought that he had not the right it would have seemed to him violation abominable murder and he did not speak out but his tears flowed hotter and hotter in this immolation of his love this despairing sacrifice of his own happiness in order that she might remain candid and ignorant and gay at heart oh marie how wretched i am nowhere on the roads nowhere at the galleys even is there a man more wretched than myself oh marie if you only knew if you only knew how wretched i am she was distracted and caught him in her trembling arms wishing to console him with a sisterly embrace and at that moment the woman awaking within her understood everything and she herself sobbed with sorrow that both human and divine will should thus part them she had never yet reflected on such things but suddenly she caught a glimpse of life with its passions its struggles and its sufferings and then seeking for what she might say to soothe in some degree that broken heart she stammered very faintly distressed that she could find nothing sweet enough i know i know then the words it was needful she should speak came to her and as though that which she had to say ought only to be heard by the angels she became anxious and looked around her but the slumber which reigned in the carriage seemed more heavy even than before her father was still sleeping with the innocent look of a big child not one of the pilgrims not one of the ailing ones had stirred amidst the rough rocking which bore them onward even sister hyacinthe giving way to the overpowering weariness had just closed her eyes after drawing the lamp-screen in her own compartment and now there were only vague shadows there ill-defined bodies amidst nameless things ghostly forms scarce visible which a tempest blast a furious rush was carrying on and on through the darkness and she likewise distrusted that black countryside whose unknown depths went by on either side of the train without one even being able to tell what forests what rivers what hills one was crossing a short time back some bright sparks of light had appeared possibly the lights of some distant forges or the woeful lamps of workers or sufferers now however the night again streamed deeply all round the obscure infinite nameless sea farther and farther through which they ever went not knowing where they were 
then with a chaste confusion blushing amidst her tears marie placed her lips near pierre's ears listen my friend there is a great secret between the blessed virgin and myself i had sworn that i would never tell it to anybody but you are too unhappy you are suffering too bitterly she will forgive me i will confide it to you and in a faint breath she went on during that night of love you know the night of burning ecstasy which i spent before the grotto i engaged myself by a vow i promised the blessed virgin the gift of my chastity if she would but heal me she has healed me and never you hear me pierre never will i marry anybody ah what unhoped-for sweetness he thought that a balmy dew was falling on his poor wounded heart it was a divine enchantment a delicious relief if she belonged to none other she would always be a little bit his own and how well she had known his torment and what it was needful she should say in order that life might yet be possible for him in his turn he wished to find happy words and promised that he also would ever be hers ever love her as he had loved her since childhood like the dear creature she was whose one kiss long long ago had sufficed to perfume his entire life but she made him stop already anxious fearing to spoil that pure moment no no my friend she murmured let us say nothing more it would be wrong perhaps i am very weary i shall sleep quietly now and with her head against his shoulder she fell asleep at once like a sister who is all confidence he for a moment kept himself awake in that painful happiness of renunciation which they had just tasted together it was all over quite over now the sacrifice was consummated he would live a solitary life apart from the life of other men never would he know woman never would any child be born to him and there remained to him only the consoling pride of that accepted and desired suicide with the desolate grandeur that attaches to lives which are beyond the pale of nature but fatigue overpowered him also his eyes closed and in his turn he fell asleep and afterwards his head slipped down and his cheek touched the cheek of his dear friend who was sleeping very gently with her brow against his shoulder then their hair mingled she had her golden hair her royal hair half unbound and it streamed over his face and he dreamed amidst its perfume doubtless the same blissful dream fell upon them both for their loving faces assumed the same expression of rapture they both seemed to be smiling to the angels it was chaste and passionate abandon the innocence of chance slumber placing them in one another's arms with warm close lips so that their breath mingled like the breath of two babes lying in the same cradle and such was their bridal night the consummation of the spiritual marriage in which they were to live a delicious annihilation born of extreme fatigue with scarcely a fleeting dream of mystical possession amidst this carriage of wretchedness and suffering which still and ever rolled along through the dense night hours and hours slipped by the wheels growled the bags and baskets swung from the brass hooks whilst from the piled-up crushed bodies there only arose a sense of terrible fatigue the great physical exhaustion brought back from the land of miracles when the overworked souls returned home at last at five o'clock whilst the sun was rising there was a sudden awakening a resounding entry into a large station with porters calling doors opening and people scrambling together they were at poitiers and at once the whole carriage was on foot amidst a chorus of laughter and exclamations little sophie couteau alighted here and was bidding everybody farewell she embraced all the ladies even passing over the partition to take leave of sister claire des anges whom nobody had seen since the previous evening for silent and slight of build with eyes full of mystery she had vanished into her corner then the child came back again took her little parcel and showed herself particularly amiable towards sister hyacinthe and madame de jonquiere au revoir sister au revoir madame i thank you for all your kindness you must come back again next year my child oh i shan't fail sister it's my duty and be good my dear child and take care of your health so that the blessed virgin may be proud of you to be sure madame she was so good to me and it amuses me so much to go to see her when she was on the platform all the pilgrims in the carriage leaned out and with happy faces watched her go off till next year they called to her till next year yes yes thank you kindly till next year the morning prayer was only to be said at chatelleraud after the stoppage at poitiers when the train was once more rolling on in the fresh breeze of morning monsieur de guersin gaily declared that he had slept delightfully in spite of the hardness of the seat madame de jonquiere also congratulated herself on the good rest which she had had and of which she had been in so much need though at the same time she was somewhat annoyed at having left sister hyacinthe all alone to watch over la grivotte who was now shivering with intense fever again attacked by her horrible cough 
meanwhile the other female pilgrims were tidying themselves the ten women at the far end of the carriage were fastening their fichus and tying their cap-strings with a kind of modest nervousness displayed on their mournfully ugly faces and elise rouquet all attention with her face close to her pocket-glass did not cease examining her nose mouth and cheeks admiring herself with the thought that she was really and truly becoming nice-looking and it was then that pierre and marie again experienced a feeling of deep compassion on glancing at madame vincent whom nothing had been able to rouse from a state of torpor neither the tumultuous stoppage at poitiers nor the noise of voices which had continued ever since they had started off again prostrate on the seat she had not opened her eyes but still and ever slumbered tortured by atrocious dreams and with big tears still streaming from her closed eyes she had caught hold of the pillow which had been forced upon her and was closely pressing it to her breast in some nightmare born of her suffering her poor arms which had so long carried her dying daughter her arms now unoccupied forever empty had found this cushion whilst she slept and had coiled around them as around a phantom with a blind and frantic embrace on the other hand monsieur sabatier had woke up feeling quite joyous whilst his wife was pulling up his rug carefully wrapping it round his lifeless legs he began to chat with sparkling eyes once more basking in illusion he had dreamt of lourdes said he and had seen the blessed virgin leaning towards him with a smile of kindly promise and then although he had before him both madame vincent that mother whose daughter the virgin had allowed to die and la grivotte the wretched woman whom she had healed and who had so cruelly relapsed into her mortal disease he nevertheless rejoiced and made merry repeating to monsieur de guersin with an air of perfect conviction oh i shall return home quite easy in mind monsieur i shall be cured next year yes yes as that dear little girl said just now till next year till next year it was indestructible illusion victorious even over certainty eternal hope determined not to die but shooting up with more life than ever after each defeat upon the ruins of everything at chateleroux sister hyacinthe made them say the morning prayer the pater the ave the credo and an appeal to god begging him for the happiness of a glorious day o oh god grant me sufficient strength that i may avoid all that is evil do all that is good and suffer without complaint every pain End of section twenty four.